Hey everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every story from A to Z. I'm Adam. And I'm Zach. Hi, Adam. Hey, uh, this is going to be an interesting one. We we haven't done really a fill-in-the-blanks episode before, have we? Well, I mean, I'm sure we have, but there's a problem with this episode, and that is that you and I are going to have to duel for uh, supremacy and to uh, figure out who the true leader of this of this podcast is. It had been like a, a joint, you know, we were both like co-equals, and now one of us has to become the best. And <laughs> it's going to be tough, I believe. Well, I, I feel like I'm at a little bit of a disadvantage because I, I've lost my powers recently. And uh, so, look, here's what we're going to do. First person to knock over the other one first wins okay that's fine that's fine we can do that we can do that i'll just make sure i adjust my laser beams and get into a fight with my wife first (laughs) oh man yeah we're talking about the uh episode the issues from 201 to 210 that we haven't talked about right yeah more or less we are we are doing we are doing a bunch of stories from 1986 uh between the Asgard saga or the Asgardian Wars and the Mutant Massacre. This is like the midpoint of Claremont. Yeah. Because everything pivots right after this. This is the uh, Ghosts trade. So for people who like bought that in trade paperback, these are those stories. Um, so we've covered a couple of things in this range before, like Wounded Wolf. Um, I think we did the Nightcrawler story, right? We have not done the Nightcrawler story. Oh, That's we the, haven't done that. That one. will now okay. be the only thing between 200 and uh, I don't know whatever's after the Meat and Massacre that we haven't covered because the first story that we're going to talk about today is Uncanny X Men 201: The Duel. And do you know why we're talking about these stories? I assume it's because we have a request. It is. It's because Patreon supporter Robert went on over to Patreon.com/slash/ComicsXF. Uh, he reached deep into his heart and his pocketbook and uh you know he threw a couple of coins in our coffers uh and all of that money goes towards uh comics xf as a website uh supporting our writers podcasters editors tech support gurus uh everything you need to run a social media empire uh <laughs> that that's what this funds uh we actually just uh right before i recorded or we've recorded this, I ran the numbers and we're having our largest month ever uh, since we brought in advertising. Uh, but we we want to do more. We want to help out people. And if you want to be like Robert, uh, you can you can go over to patreon.com slash comicsxf and help us out. Worst case, worst case, you get to you get go at the $5 a month level and then get a story on this list that we get to uh, rank, just like we're about to do right now with Duel. Yeah. Uh, and I, I got to say, I think the takeaway from this, you know, when you look at the cover, this is an iconic cover of Cyclops blasting a wall and, and uh, uh, Storm jumping off of it with like a stick in her hand. 
you're expecting this to be kind of action-packed but my biggest takeaway from this issue is that uh man cyclops you're a jerk you're a deadbeat dad <laughs> okay so let's set the table here well let, let's say who the issues by because this is chris claremont, I mean, chris claremont. Rick Leonardi, yeah. not J.R.J.R., who's going to be doing the other issues. And uh, we actually have Wills Portachio doing inks, which is kind of an interesting uh, touch. Good early, for Wills. Early Wills. Uh, yeah, this is right after Asgardian War, mm-hmm. uh, which right before that, that annual, in uh, issue 200, which we covered recently in our trial, uh, the, the trial t- uh, that determined that we could continue doing this podcast. You remember that, Adam, right? I do remember that. <laughs> we it was a lot of fun. <laughs> Uh, Madeline Pryor, Madeline Pryor Summers, excuse me, had her baby. She went into labor while Cyclops was gallivanting in France. Right. So basically like used an arc. Who are the lightning bolts? Archon? What is that guy's yeah, Akron, name? Akron's Akron. lightning bolts. Uses an Akron lightning so. bolt. Basically just disappears knowing she's due. And the baby is born somewhere while he's either in Asgard or after he comes back into Paris. And even though Well, the he... baby is born on the kitchen floor of the Xavier Institute, which, <laughs> listen, my wife and I had a home birth oh. uh, at one point with our most mm-hmm. recent child. Uh, and that had, like, midwives involved and a lot of preparation and forethought and all this stuff into it. Yeah. That's the good Madeline way Madeline Pryor it. did just have a baby on the kitchen floor, <laughs> and that seems like a horrifying situation. Well, and we also learn, uh, based on a conversation she has with Storm, that multiple members of the X-Men did take time out of the France adventure to call and check in on her, and Cyclops did not. He's way too preoccupied with the fact that Charles Xavier has gone to space to save his life. Uh, so he's hanging out with the Starjammers and his uh, his lovely girlfriend, Lalandra. <laughs> yeah, Cyclops is in a bad headspace. And this oh, is yeah. intentional. Because Claremont, oh, yeah. Claremont is writing Cyclops' exit from the book. Mm-hmm. In, in his mind, Cyclops is done after this. Yeah. He, is, he is done being a superhero. Like, this is... This is the statement of I I have to put all this behind me because I am letting this get in the way of my new family and I have to be in that life. And because Scott Summers is very stubborn, he uh, has, has to get his butt kicked before he learns <laughs> that lesson uh, is the thing. Yeah, so we get this great Danger Room sequence where they duel um scott's very confident thinking that he's gonna take storm down thinking you know oh she's lost her powers this is gonna be a cinch and she's not (laughs) easy to take down and sneaks around is that storm wipes the floor with him because storm storm storm's very good at duels uh Um, yeah (laughs) You remember you remember how Ten of Swords doesn't actually have a huge number of sword fights, but then Storm does get a sword fight where she fights death and absolutely destroys him. Yes. And it rules. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, oh, mean... I love I love I love Storm so much. She Why is Storm so good in eight the eighties and has been pretty bad 
Mm. since <laughs> i i want to blame it on the animated series because i feel like there's that whole goofy you know over the top quality to the cartoon character version of her and i feel like writers just like completely lost what what was going on with the character because you know especially in the 80s you have this like punk edge to her that is just so cool um and i'm hoping you know now she's the the what the regent of soul uh you know hopefully she's, she's getting the queen of space <laughs> right space queen i'm hoping she's getting her due uh because it's long away it's it's long overdue um i really i really feel like in the 90s when lee and portacio and lobdell and Nicieza were on the books they like intentionally said hey let's we have a big team storm's been the main character of the x-men for a while now Let's highlight some other people for a bit. Let's give Colossus storyline here. Let's focus Rogue and Gambit have this cool chemistry and they're hot right now. Let's go that way. I see why they started down that path for a short time. And even then, Storm was a fairly large character. But then no one knew what to do with her for a very long time. And then Claremont came back and had Storm for a while. And then she got married off. Yeah, it was and, weird. And then now Storm's like, I, I hate how what has happened with storm and how she has been mistreated over the years because storm's so good storm yeah is so good and th- yeah. this is one of the best storm issues she well, just she takes no crap and she no. says scott you're a bad leader you gotta take care of your wife i'm going <laughs> to beat you up yeah so she's like playing marriage counselor she manages to get scott's visor off and gets him to to quit um and now we now we know for sure who's leading the group because for a while it was Nightcrawler and that really wasn't working out so well. Uh, Kurt was you know probably a little too immature to, to actually be taking on the role, and Storm is going to be the the de facto leader for a while. Um, we're also getting at the end of this issue a, a little lead into some of the other stuff that we're going to talk about, which is that Phoenix, um, who now has uh, some of the Phoenix power. Um, You're talking about Rachel Gray, the yes, second Phoenix. Yes. Um, installs herself into the holocron crystal at the uh, Gray house, uh, the parents' house, because she's off to do something crazy. And we'll talk about that uh, in a minute. But I think this issue is pretty fantastic. Lots of great character work. Um yeah, I just think the character work here is fantastic. Like, I, I was uh, tweeting about Scott being a deadbeat dad, and some people were getting back to me like, no, he's had the, all this stuff happen to him. And I'm like, I, I feel like people forget that, that it is purposeful that Scott is being a deadbeat here. You know, it's, it's definitely yeah. part of the design that you were talking about. So it's okay to acknowledge that he's being a deadbeat uh, because it's part of the story. Also, one one really cool thing about this issue that I think people forget because the duel is so iconic mm-hmm. uh, is that there's just a lot of great beats for other characters in this. You got the stuff with Rachel. Uh, you have a baseball game that has yeah. an incredible rogue moment where <laughs> Shadowcat pitches. Colossus turns to metal during his follow through to knock the ball into the stratosphere uh, up to towards air force one where rogue flies up gives a kiss to ronald reagan's window <laughs> and lands and's like you're out 
it's it's fantastic there's there's a little bit of interaction between kitty and sam guthrie who has lost his term paper uh on his computer like it, it just feels like a wholly realized world here on the campus between the new you know even with the new mutants who all sort of huddle around to watch the duel because they get kicked out of the danger room you know it all feels like everything is connected and and you know interacting and i, I love that kind of stuff it's great I think it, I think it works as an answer to the question at the end of 200 of what does it mean for Magneto to take Xavier's place? Because mm. what it means really ends up not being I am going to run the X-Men now. No. It's I'm going to be the steward for the next generation. In mm-hmm. this issue, the next issue afterwards is very, very firm and convincing saying... No, Nightcrawler does not run the X-Men. No, Magneto is not running the X-Men. No, Cyclops is not running the X-Men. The X-Men are Storm's team. Right. And she is in charge now. And you know can babysit the kids while they don't ever uh, follow the rules and always sneak out. (laughs) Can you imagine the online discourse that would go on nowadays with this entire storyline? Just to start with, hey, the depowered Storm right yeah well and i i think that you know what claremont wanted to do at least theoretically with the idea of rotating the cast and you know having some of the the heroes quote-unquote retire and maybe appear periodically here and there um it, it just it was out of sync with obviously what the publisher wanted um, because you have these familiar characters as part of the property and, you know, you want those stories to continue with them. Um, So I think if, if some of these things had happened now, like the stories we're talking about today, I think people would be like, what in the world is going on? Uh, Just because of the, the dynamic shifts. I screwed up something on my timeline. Okay. X-Factor Volume 1 comes out the next month. Really? It's that quick? February 86, which means part of this may be Claremont writing Scott out of spite. Well, <laughs> there's, there's, listen, Claremont still complains about this to the day. Oh, yeah. I can't imagine that part of it is not being like, fine, you want Scott to leave his wife and kids? I'm going to make sure <laughs> Scott leaves his wife and kids, and you do not like Scott. Like, screw yeah. you, Bob Layton and Jackson Geis. I'm going to make your lives hard. Well, and we I all know see, how I that... I Papa Claremont doing that. Yeah, we all know how that begins with X-Factor um, and him leaving. So, yeah, I think it all ties together. Um, and who knows? Uh, maybe it is, is CC being, uh, you know, a little jerk about, <laughs> about X-Factor. Because you're right. I don't think he was ever on board with that. Uh, all right, let's wrap this. It was ever. He is not on board with it. Well, he will tell you at every opportunity how not on board he is with this. That That's his whole thing, you know, it's like what he's not on board with. It's like um, one of the three stories that he tells at conventions. Yeah, yep. All right, let's rank this. Uh, so, yeah, you talked about ranking, and we rank all the X-Men stories on our big old list. In fact, Adam, we have 573 stories, 537, excuse me, 537 stories. Wow. On this list. Number one is the House of X, the Powers of Ten. Don't at me. It's the best. Uh, 100 <laughs> is X-Force, X-Force, Volume 3, Number 1 through 6, Angels and Demons. Number 200 on this list is Power Pack 20. 
Uh, I forget which one of Power Pack that is. It's a good one, though. Uh, number 300 on this list is the first four issues of Marvel Fanfare, where they go to the Savage Land. Uh, number 400 on this list is the London Hellfire Club arc of Excalibur. 500 is X-Men Forever, the Fibia Nisiesa one. Uh, and 537 is the Draco. Nice. Not nice. That one's terrible. But that's a lot that of That one's pretty bad. <laughs> this one. Okay. I'm pretty good. So where are you looking on the list? First thing that popped up in my eyes. 120 or 112 is Uncanny 244 Ladies Night. Okay. Yeah, I think. A single issue. Mm-hmm. Character thing. This is that better. I think. Yeah. I, I think that this is better than Ladies Night. Oh, yeah. I'm actually looking a lot higher on the list um, because... That's fine. Yeah. Like, I'm looking... I'm actually going up into the 50s here. Um, I feel okay, like... Number 50 is Marvel's number two. 51 is Uncanny X-Men and the New Teen Titans. I do like this better than Uncanny X-Men and the New Teen Titans. Yeah. I Mar- probably... I, I know where my ceiling is. I want to hear your thoughts. I think I just saw you highlight New Mutants Inferno, and that's probably... I was just clicking around, but sure. Well, okay. I think that's probably... Because, like, at 36, we have Trial of Magneto, right? And I think that's better Trial than Trial of Magneto's probably better than this, yeah. Right? He's got that good speech. Yeah, so I'm working my way down from there, and, like, you know, as as we go... Right below Inferno, New Mutants is uh, Cable 155 to 159. I think this is better than that. Adam, I don't mean to continually bring this up, but I'm looking <laughs> at a page from that. That doesn't where make Cable it better. Where Cable does hug hope. No, but it makes it more important to me. Okay. I think I do think that that arc is better than this. Really? Okay. Right. I do. I do. But I think you're in the exact right spot. Because I do think this is better than at 49 is New Mutants 127, which is the good Zorn issue, uh, which I, now that I say that, I also have art right next to me of an homage to that, that a friend of the show, Karen Charm, did of Glob Herman, uh, (laughs) but he's looking at a grilled cheese sandwich instead of a hamburger. I don't know why. I just, I I wanted that to happen. Uh, I think this is better than the Chamber Icons series. Yep, I agree. I I think this is probably right. Like I'm I'm in in between Cable and that Chamber are all new X Men one through five. Yesterday's X Men, mm-hmm. which rules, and X Men Legacy nineteen to twenty four for We Are Many, the end of Cy Spurrier's Legacy run, which I think is very good, but also not the best part of Spurrier's run. Yeah, I I mean obviously, um. The artwork on all new X-Men is pretty solid. We do have Leonardi here, who I, I love Leonardi's stuff. I think it's really good. Um, I think that this is a really iconic issue. So I think I would put it... I mean, I personally would put it in between Inferno New Mutants and that Cable arc. But if you want to put Cable above it, I would say this is better than all new X-Men 1 to 5. See, because I would put it between all new X Men one to five and X Men Legacy. X-Men so Legacy. I think, hmm. I think what yeah. you have just said is the exact compromise between our two positions. <laughs> yeah. All right. So this is going to be our new forty six. This will be our new forty six. It's 
Uncanny X-Men 201 Duel. All right, That's cool. a good one. Like, uh, we're, we're talking about a bunch of good stories here. All those are good. Go read them. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, I mean, we're, we're just kind of quibbling about where it is on the list. But uh, that's that's our job. So, this that's next the story... That's the show, to be honest. ...is 202 and 203. Uh, this is a Secret Wars 2 tie-in. Hmm. Okay, so here's the thing. For those of you who... Have we... We have talked about... Have we, we have. talked about Secret Wars 2? I feel like we have. We didn't did we, the new. Didn't we do the new mutant Secret Wars stuff? We did. With did magic we do and the actual Secret Wars issues, or did we do the stuff right afterwards? No, we definitely did the issue with magic and Beyonder and like. Okay, we did the one where they died. Yep, that's right. Because it's got right. the Danny sees the big old thing and she says, "Yeah, screw you, kill me, I don't care." Right, right. <laughs> so, so for folks who. Adam, you were you were the one of us who was alive during Secret Wars 2. Would you like to explain the concept of Secret Wars 2 to people beyond Jim Shooter tries to write the great American novel and fails oh so God. miserably it's not even funny? Well, Secret Wars was basically like you have Battleworld and you have a off-screen character called the Beyonder who gets the action figures together and smashes them together. Spidey gets a new costume. Yay! Uh, but Secret Wars 2 is Jim Shooter really trying to like I guess, take over everything um, and decides that the Beyonder is basically like this leisure suit wearing like Jerry Curl white dude who doesn't really understand humans or humanity or reality because he's this he's a Beyonder. Um, So he's not only going to, you know, be in Secret Wars 2 miniseries but he's gonna appear in like every single book for two months and it's so annoying um (laughs) because every single marvel character has to have these stupid interactions with this very dumb dumb character um at least in this one the plot line centers around rachel trying to kill him which i kind of appreciate like there is a certain amount of irony there um so I don't know if that was like Claremont trying to like say something about the character or what, but um, that's essentially what we do in this first issue. Um, and then we get another shot at it in the second issue. Do you know, do you know the retcons about the Beyonder? You mean the, the ones that happened before Secret Wars, John Hickman's that, that the even, Be- well, that and even before that. Well, the the Hickman retcon was that the Beyonders are an entire, like, race, and that the Beyonder that came in Secret Wars 2 was, like, a baby. That, like... Yeah, he's just a really stupid baby, which is the funniest thing in the world. (laughs) Because the Uh, the actual Beyonders were, like, robot-looking dudes. Uh, They were were just beyond us. They were were imperceptible. Yeah. uh, Except for that they could only move linearly through time, which is... Frankly, a very weird weakness that you and I also share. <laughs> Brian Brian Bendis back before uh, before Secret Invasion when he did his Illuminati series mm-hmm. uh, retconned the Beyonder to be one of the first Inhumans and also a mutant Inhuman. Oh Jesus, I didn't know that. And no one brought that up ever again. That's because it's dumb. That <laughs> it was. A, <laughs> Bendis 
Bendis, you did a bad one on that one, buddy. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but the problem about the Beyonder is he sucks, and I hate him so much. He's the most annoying character to read, right? He is. He's awful um, because, you know, he's supposed to be this sort of naive, uh, all-powerful god. And uh, I think, you know, Shooter's intention was this was going to, like, be this amazing statement about the world. And it, it just turns out to just, I don't know, like, the character just strikes you as smarmy and um, very creating conflicts where there absolutely don't need there to be any. So for example, here the Phoenix has decided that the Beyonder is such a threat that she's going to use her Phoenix powers to go and kill him. He's just chilling on Alcatraz for some reason, right? Uh, you know, basically drops a Phoenix nu- nuke on him. Nothing happens. So he gives her like this scenario, which is I'm going to bring some of the Sentinels from your future here and you have two choices. I'm giving you enough power that you can save your friends or you can kill me. It's kind of an interesting premise. But again, the Beyonder is not an interesting foil. So the whole scenario just feels like, why are we here? Why are we doing this when we could be telling more about the new status quo with the team? Yeah, it's very boring and it's very confusing. So this story... Uh, it's not even the first Secret Wars 2 tie-in to this book, which is so depressing. Uh, because that that first one, which is part four of 41 of Secret Wars 2. <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, is X-Men 196. This is... So this is the worst kind of crossover in my mind. Because this is part 32 of 41. Mm-hmm. And part 39 of 41 in the book assumes that you have at least read Secret Wars 2 and know exactly where this canonically falls between them. Oh yeah. Because we get a whole we get a whole location change in the middle of this. Mm-hmm. It's so frustrating. Uh, uh I like would the agree. first issue the first issue is just annoying. The JRJR art is good, uh, mm-hmm. but it's super annoying to read. Uh the second issue mind-boggling. Get, let's pause for just a second. I just want to point out that Magneto uses magnets to create a tornado <laughs> in sure. the first issue. And I was rereading reading cool. this going, oh my god, I forgot about those magnets could do anything. Um, all right, sure, yes. he can make a tornado, whatever. Yeah. Oh, it sucks. To, explain what Rachel is doing in the second issue, though, in 203. Because this is, you're right, this is like even more bonkers than the first one, but it's still like an assassination attempt. So the X-Men are living with Jessica Drew, the previous Spider-Woman in San Francisco, a character who, to my knowledge, had appeared once in Uncanny X-Men mm-hmm. ever before this. Yep. Uh, maybe, maybe 70 issues before. Yeah. I, I was not up to date on uh, the latest Spider-Woman status quo. Last I heard, she unwrote herself from reality or something that Anacenti did. I wasn't paying that much attention. <laughs> but they're hanging out at her house now for reasons that I assume I would know if I actually read Secret Wars 2, which I will not do. <laughs> I've read enough tie-ins to Secret Wars 2 that I do not need to read Secret Wars 2. Anyway, Rachel decides, I'm going to have to gonna have to kill the Beyonder. I still have all of his super Beyonder powers. 
I got to figure out where he's at. It's Alcatraz Island. And I am going to, because I can't just kill him straight up. I'm going to destroy all of reality so that the Beyonder dies. Which is, which is a bad plan because reality is where she keeps her stuff. <laughs> and like, just from a pure pragmatism standpoint, I've got to imagine existing with the Beyonder around versus no one and nothing existing. existing. <laughs> what's crazy? It's bad. And what's crazy is that Kitty and Rogue, Kitty, who is wielding the Soul Sword here after the New Mutants uh, crossover, died. Uh, both of them are like. And Jessica Drew, who just like pops out of uh, you know in a frame, and it's like, "Hi, I'm I'm here." Um, they're like, "Hi, this is my house." They're like on board with giving her their like soul life energy transfer, and so she can have more power. I totally understand Kitty Pride talking to her girlfriend and saying, "Yes, I I think my other girlfriend died, and I think that because now I have her magical soul in my hands. So if you want to <laughs> kill that dude, that's fine." Like she's. She's there for love. I don't know what Rogue's doing. I, I don't know what Jessica Drew is doing. I don't either. And uh, Rachel then proceeds to go inside of the apartment and take all of this soul energy from the rest of the X-Men. And Storm is like... Including Storm, who says, This is a bad not. plan, Rachel. <laughs> you you want to destroy the universe? That's a... Rachel, no. We don't, we don't do that. Yes. Similarly um, disenchanted with this is um, there's a cameo of the Watcher in uh, in um, 201, and uh, the Watcher pops up again, and the way that Shannon Jr. draws him, he just looks like a normal dude, just like chilling on the Sean moon. Shannon Jr. forgot that the Watcher <laughs> has a big head. It's so That's funny. the thing. The Watcher's supposed to look silly. That's his... If he doesn't, then he's a weird dude. <laughs> He's a weird dude watching you pee. Yeah. If he's got a big head, he's just he's just whimsical. So, but Rachel, so Rachel goes mm -hmm. and tries to destroy the universe, and we get some really trippy kind of cosmicy pages that are actually incredibly uh, reminiscent. Well, I say reminiscent, but uh, probably pulled from actually, uh, or referenced by what Assad Ribic does at the end of Jonathan Hickman's Secret Wars mm -hmm. uh, with the checkerboard pattern pages between Reed and Doom and Black Panther and Doom. It's that exact same it's really cool. uh, kind of thing with Rachel and the Beyonder. That yeah. works. Those two, like, back-to-back -back double page spreads, that's Claremont saying, I'm gonna do a weird Jim Starlin riff right now and I <laughs> think Ramita can pull it off. Yeah. Um... The only thing is that, like, I guess she kind of defeats the Beyonder because he learns about, like, human compassion or, like, the value of life somehow. Because Rachel, in trying to destroy all of the world, taps into, like, everybody's minds in the entire galaxy and realizes this is a bad idea, but then kind of. I don't even know how to describe it. Like, I guess teachers. We're explaining it poorly. Be we're explaining it poorly because Chris Claremont, frankly, wrote it poorly. He had the deck stacked against him. I'm not not disagreeing on that one. Uh, but this one's rough. I'm gonna just so everyone understands what happened because 
I don't. <laughs> uh, I'm just going to read verbatim from the Marvel Wikia here. Okay. With this, the Beyonder, overwhelmed by the existence of every living creature on the planet, buckles over in pain and finally understands what it means to exist. Which, okay, cool, you understood that all life is suffering. Great job, Beyonder. <laughs> uh, with this... The X-Men point out that every living creature struggles to make the best of their lives due to the threat of their ultimate mortality that they would eventually die. This gives the Beyonder much to ponder over. And he decides to leave the X-Men to think about it. It's it's so unnecessary. And they <laughs> They beat him. I do you know do you know what the Beyonder realized when he got beaten? What did he what did he realize? Everything dies. <laughs> Hickman, you son of a gun! You did it again! Oh, well. I don't think that that was necessarily a reference to this, but I think the serendipity is too good. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just unnecessary. Like, this villain is very dumb. I, he, it feels like he's intruding on the book. Why do we need two versions of the same story back to back? I feel like what Claremont is trying to do with this story is to expand Rachel... Um, by, you know, Rachel having to come to terms with the fact that she has potentially godlike powers. So it's, a, I think what, what he wants to do is, you know, make it a character building moment for her to realize like, Hey, because we're, we're going to talk about another story in which Rachel is like overreaching with what she's supposed to be doing. Um, you know, or, or what consequences are and things like that. And I feel like this is supposed to be the building block that gets there. But unfortunately, because it's tied in with this villain and this stupid crossover, which I think is like primarily known jokingly now as the crossover where Spider-Man teaches this guy how to poop, um, you know, here's, it's it's here's not the thing interesting. With that anecdote. Here's the thing with that anecdote. That's said jokingly, even though that's a hundred percent literally what happens. Mm -hmm. But that's also the antithesis of this event. Because it's antithesis is the wrong word. I don't know what what is like the perfect example of the event. Because every one of these forty one freaking issues is the Beyonder learns a very fundamental and basic concept about existence. <laughs> right. Yeah. And in a lot of cases, it's like the same lesson. Uh, and it's just value a... human life, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I like it sucks. the. I hate it. I... I... I, I like the John Romita. I hate it. I like the John Romita art, um, John Romita Jr. art. But um, other than that, I don't know that there's a lot to recommend. Um, you this know, is, it's just not enjoyable. Adam, this is my least favorite like year of X Men. Oh. I'm not. I'm not gonna lie. Like, I always thought that when I was doing my big Claremont read that you know the the pilgrimage that everyone must do where they read 17 years worth of one man's <laughs> comics, right? Um, and I thought, I thought that like it lost its steam right before Mutant Massacre, and then finally switched it around, and like had new life again. And it really rereading this, it is that whole like late '90s stretch until 210. There's there's some great one shots in there. 201 is great, obviously. 204, the Nightcrawler issue that yep. comes right after this is great life death is in that chunk 200s like there are great single issues but all of the stories suck all right well 
hold that thought because I have I want to elaborate on that when we get to our next story. Uh, but let's rank yeah. the Secret Wars two uh, thing here. Okay, what what's the lowest Claremont uncanny that we have? Um, uh, well, three sixty eight is old soldiers. No, no, no. Well, are we counting like? Are we just talking uncanny? Because we've got extreme X Men. Uh, we're around. talking. We're talking real Claremont uncanny. <laughs> Original, uh, um, pr- probably Muir Island then. Um, which Mirror is... Island's pretty low. No, not two hundred five. Wounded Wolf rules. Uh, yeah, three sixteen is freedom is a four letter word. This is worse. Like, we have than a that. lot of stuff in this. It is. Um, four hundred is Curse of the Mutants right now, and this is probably better than Curse of the Mutants, but not a lot better than Curse of the Mutants. I don't think. I don't think it is. Honestly, is it? I mean, maybe art wise, I. Um, like I think, okay. All right. Let me, let me move. Let's work our way up from 400 then. Uh, I think this is better okay. than Muir Island saga. Uh, um, okay. That is at 399. I think it's better than the five lights. 398. Okay. I think that's fair. But is it as good I've as got... the amazing adventures 11 to 16? The, the first furry beast stories. I mean, no, it's not. I was, I was like, my mind jumped just a few spots up at the, time when dazzler became the herald of galactus i was like <laughs> no that's better yeah that's, that's like that this better. same kind of dumb but better yeah. yeah no this amazing adventure is better let's put it between that and five lights perfect so this is going to be our new 398 uncanny x-men chris 202 to 203 chris what's up man <laughs> talk to me why'd you do this well i'm sure a lot of it had to do with editorial mandate however um I want to elaborate on what you were just talking about in terms of this this era and this run. And uh, we're going to be talking about uh, Uncanny X-Men 207 to 209, which is titled Ghosts. Um, and ugh, this is where I think upon my initial read of, of the run, um, I really started to get a little bit frustrated because it felt like Chris didn't know what to do with Rachel. He had brought her back and kind of got frustrated with himself about what the options were with the character. And so we get this story that essentially gets rid of her um, by the end of it. And we don't see her again for two more years until Excalibur. So I feel like he maybe tried to, you know, he like in between, he figured it out a little bit um, with with some help. So there's there's something interesting there that. He had plans here. So, like you said, this this issue ends with Rachel getting written out. Yes, 209 ends with uh, Rachel being brought into uh, the body shop by Spiral. So, Claremont and, uh, and Rick Leonardi were going to do a miniseries oh. about Rachel that, that was actually announced uh, in 208 in the letters column. Really? That's fascinating. Yes. So there were plans here. It was Chris Leonardi, or Rick Leonardi, uh, with Claremont. Hmm. And apparently, uh, Leonardi penciled the first issue. What? Uh, Claremont wrote a couple of scripts and it just, it didn't get printed. Uh, it was too complex for the time. Like they couldn't make the whole thing work. Wow. Uh, and it continued to get delayed. Uh, continued to get delayed, uh, 
and then eventually they just brought her into uh, Excalibur. Oh my goodness! I would love to see that. I wonder if the pages still exist. Oh, you want? Hey, you want to see? You want to see some pages, Adam? I'll show you some pages. Uh, we're gonna make sure we link this in the uh, in the notes, but uh, here's some here's some pages from Marvel Age Annual number two. And some other things that actually printed this uh, with some Rick Leonardi art. Uh, it's all about Rachel reliving a bunch of her thoughts of being a hound. And like the past, present, Whoa. and future of the days of future past. Also, the first, the second page has the Statue of Liberty. But the Statue of Liberty is holding a GE light bulb. This is which awesome. Is weird. This is so awesome. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, Franklin Richards was going to be involved. Power Pack. This looks cool. It was going to be a whole thing. Wow. Uh, never happened, though. Hmm. That is a darn shame. Um, it was going to be a big Mojoverse thing, too. Well, that's the thing that always, like, never... I realize we're talking about, like, the non-existent transition between the end of this story and not talking about the story itself. We will get into that in a second. But the one thing I think that always frustrated me was we had Spiral kind of promising a transformation. And then when we got to Excalibur, there really wasn't one. Um, just seemed like you had a better handle on the character. So, you know, whatever. But I gotta say, um, despite my frustrations about like Chris not necessarily knowing what to do or with Rachel or like whatever this publishing snafu was with the mini, um, this is kind of an interesting uh, collision story because we're getting uh, a more X-Men centric version of the Rachel has an assassination plot story. Then we're getting some Hellfire Club stuff with Celine, and we're getting Nimrod. Um, so by the third issue, we have all three of those parties fighting each other, and it, it is pretty cool. Um, but is it? Hold on, is it? Because I've got to say, one of the biggest surprises of Jonathan Hickman's uh, seminal House of X Powers of Ten is making me feel like Nimrod is actually a threat and not just a weird purple man. <laughs> well. Nimrod has shown up before, before 200. Um, we've yes. talked about that before on the show. And they know he's kind of unbeatable. So the Hellfire Club and the X-Men have to team up. Um, the problem is that, the, I guess the, the thing that's probably most memorable from these issues is probably the thing that works the least, for me at least. And that is that when Rachel goes to try and kill Celine. Wolverine has been like haunting Wolverine and Rachel are connected somehow and they're, they're sharing dream space and Wolverine knows where Rachel is going, follows her and basically stabs her to death when she tries to kill Celine. And it's only by her telekinesis that she's able to like hold her guts and all that in and not die. Um, it's that part. I think, I think, does not Wolverine tries to make this like big rationalization that even though he's a killer and he'll kill whenever he wants to blah, 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 blah. He still is against like assassination. Like don't kill people while they're I, sleeping. And I'm like, really Wolverine? Like, come on. I think there's a, I think Wolverine's, the way that Wolverine's being written right here is bizarre. Mm -hmm. Like, I get it. Wolverine has a code of honor in all of this stuff. And fine. And he doesn't want to see other people become the monsters that he is. Fine. I don't think Wolverine will 
is making his point very well no. to say, I will kill you if you try and kill her. Right. She's <laughs> an evil vampire sexy lady. But if you try and touch one hair on her head, Rachel, you call it 18, 19 year old kid, I will gut you like a fish. That doesn't work. Rachel wanting to assassinate Celine so bad, I still don't really get. Yeah. Like, I know she doesn't like it. And it's even weirder because Nimrod is a player in this story. Mm -hmm. And if the story was like Celine was doing the Hellfire Club thing at the time of doing weapons deals and like Celine was making a Nimrod, I could see even just based on the context of 1986 and not 2021, that being a more compelling story. Because at that time, we already knew that Nimrod was big old bad thing that blasted Rachel in Days of Future Past timeline. Like, we already had that part of her story. Yeah. So, cool. Let let her conflict be around Nimrod, not this being just this weird third thing that pops up because Claremont has to wrap up the storyline. <laughs> I think that when they all team up, it's kind of cool. Um, really made me kind of uh, miss Harry Leland a little bit because Harry dies. Don't um, worry, he's back now. He's back now. You heard about that? Because of... I, I'm, I didn't read this Adam. week's. Is he back? It's not this week's. Yeah, Adam, it was in The Last Marauders. Do you read the data pages? I know you sometimes skim the data pages. You have to read the data pages, though. I Because do. they straight up said, no, you did it. Because if you did, you would remember that they straight up said, yeah, so Nimrod's back. And the last time we dealt with that, uh, Harry Leland helped. So can we get him back? But it was a request. Said, yeah, Harry's at the top of the queue. Yeah, oh, he's okay. at the top of the queue. Okay. He's back. Right. Like, well, we haven't... That's, that's them saying, don't argue about Harry Leland being back. He's back for a reason now. <laughs> anyway, um, Harry has a heart attack uh, here, basically holding Nimrod down so the Colossus can beat the crap out of him. An absolutely buck wild plot. It's great. Who, who amongst us is upset about the deaths of Harry Leland <laughs> and Frederick von Rome? Mr. Werewolf. Mr. Uh, Lycanthropy there. Yeah, I did not realize he was. I did not realize he was a werewolf until I read it on the Marvel Wikia. Uh, See, as we are talking, he's had nine appearances, Adam. I guess he's basically just a dude. Um, he's had six. One of them. One of them was in a gamer's handbook to the Marvel universe. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> yeah. Okay. He has three handbook appearances. These three stories, and then like three other random issues. Whatever. Mm. It's fine. So to, to your point about like the series kind of losing the thread uh, somewhere around this era, I, t I get that. I remember reading this and going, okay, we've been at the mansion. We've been in San Francisco. Now we're living with the Morlocks. Uh, you know, who are we fighting? Are we, you know, and like normally Claremont seeds all these things and these threads are going through, but it's also an era where we're getting these one shot issues of the Nightcrawler story, the wounded wolf story. And you're, it just becomes a little bit scrambled. And I, I do wonder like what, what exactly was the point of doing all of this stuff with Rachel? Because Rachel becomes a much more interesting character in Excalibur, but here She's just sort of like a raging fireball and um, spends most of the issue laying on the ground, bleeding to death. So it's not She particularly... does become a more interesting character in Excalibur, but I also feel like she kind of just transitions back until 
the character she was before all of this. Like, none of this seemed like seems like it matters all that much. Yeah. No, I'm I'm with you, and that's why the the body shop ending it, it, it always disappointed me that something you know radical never came out of that because you know it it's happening as the Nimrod fight is drawing to a close, so it it is a good couple of pages that Rachel is like going through this sort of psychedelic um, space with Spiral. And, you know, at first you're not really sure who it is. And then by the end, you know, you see that Spiral has six arms. She announces herself as Spiral and you're like, oh, okay, there's going to be some cool Mojoverse stuff here. And that, that never happens. Um, so would have this been the, would this have been only the, like, Okay, this wouldn't have been the second appearance of Mo- at the time. Mm-hmm. This would have been right around those uh those annuals that bring Betsy and onto the team. Probably like those Mojo like because this would have gone from like so you would have gone from okay I read this long shot thing had really cool art mm-hmm. I like that guy whatever I wonder <laughs> what Art Adams is. oh he's doing more X Men stuff that's fun and then you get this tease. And then, like, two annuals that are mojo adjacent at the same time. Mm-hmm. And then never, never really, never really happens. So, yeah, it, it feels a little scrambled. Um, I don't know. There's still something enjoyable about this in terms of, like, just all of the characters that are there. You know, we've got our Morlocks. It's we've not got as our bad Hellfire as the Club. last story. No, by, by no means. Um, uh, John Romita Jr. has uh, some extra help with Pete Craig Russell on the on the uh, issue two hundred nine, so it's a little little more sketchy. Um, but I I enjoyed this. It's not, I don't think it's like that great, but I also don't think it's that terrible. So um, I don't think it's as bad as uh, the last story, which we had at three ninety eight. But it's it's also not that great either. I'm looking at 346, mm-hmm. which is Bishop's Crossing. Yeah. Uh, the start of the Wills Potasio mm-hmm. era. Uh, 281 to 283 is better than this. I would agree. I would absolutely agree. Um, uh, d- 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 yep, I see you've highlighted Death of X at 357. I think that's better than this. I think Death of X is a better story than this, yeah. Yeah. I you know I probably like it better than oh so, okay Apocalypse War yeah uh, you have Apocalypse Lo- Extraordinary X Men Apocalypse War is at three sixty two I think I like this better than that I also think it's better this is probably it's better than the first five issues of the Cullen Bunn Uncanny X Men Volume Four yeah that has, those five issues have some of the laziest Greg Land art I've ever <laughs> seen and that's saying something um three sixty is X Corp Mm-hmm. X-Core, excuse me, uh, from Uncanny X-Men 401 to 406. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is probably better than that. Okay. But, like, Divided We Stand is right above that. That's 495 to 499. That's the Brew Baker Fraction stuff where they go to San Francisco and everyone thinks they're hippies <laughs> for a hot minute. Yeah. I think that's better than this. I do too. So that would make this our new 360. That would be. Uh, it's the X-Men versus the Hellfire Club versus Nimrod. Also that time that Wolverine assassinated Rachel. You think <laughs> she ever forgave him? Because I'm trying to think of the next time those two talk to each other. Oh, God. It's probably I, it's probably like 
a very long time before that happens. But I think the next time they talk to each other ever is on Chris Claremont and Alan Davis's Uncanny X-Men. Wow. When, when Claremont, like 2004 era, Claremont comes back or comes off of Extreme and back onto Uncanny. I think that's the next time they're on the same team. Makes sense. given Because Rachel was gone forever. Right. Right. That makes a lot of sense, actually. All right, well... Oh, that's depressing. And then Rachel immediately goes into space. Had... <laughs> Listen. Have heard Wolver... Wolverine's her stepdad now. She should be talking to him. Man, nobody gets Rachel. Nobody. Leah, Leah got Rachel. Leah understood Rachel. Yeah. Um, but I still think, like, just in terms of giving that character her due, I, I feel like it's a long time coming, and it, it probably never will. Honestly, I think Teeny Howard, in her limited appearances in Excalibur, also writes a really good Rachel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, and Leah did a, a really great job with X-Factor. I just feel like... Hey, let the... Let the bisexuals write Rachel. I feel like that's the key. <laughs> Makes a lot of sense, right? All it right. really does. Uh, so that's on our list. Our list should be done now. Is our list done? Our list is done. Uh, I want to thank. I want to thank Patreon supporter Robert again. Uh, longtime supporter, big time supporter of the show and the site. Uh, we couldn't do that without supporters like you. If you want to be like Robert, go on over to the Patreon. I already gave the spiel. We're uh, we're doing some really good stuff on Comics XF. Uh, it'll be a week old by the time this goes up, but there's an incredible piece uh, that our friend Zach Rabaroff, uh, who's been on the show, uh, he he did some of the Power Pack stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zach did a great piece on Superman, but also about Jewish history and specifically the Jewish history of the uh, 20th century. That's honestly phenomenal and brought a tear to my eye and maybe the best thing we've ever published on the site. So go read that. And that's just one of like four or five really cool features that we had last week. Uh, so go check that out. And then on Twitter at ComicsXF, Adam, what are you doing? Guys, you can always follow me on Twitter at Arthur Stacy and uh keep an eye out for it i've been mentioning it in the last two episodes but uh last night i got a chance to record with uh chris and christy of chris's on infinite earths and talked about the third and uh final episode of their executioner song coverage it was a lot of fun we did some twitter questions um if you've never listened to the show they do really fun accolades uh every episode for the stories they read one of those accolades is mine i bet you can guess which (laughs) uh oh i didn't know that which one is yours mine is the goodest hit award oh, the for goodest, the goodest hit, hit. <laughs> so that's sh- that'll be that'll be out that'll be out the uh 13th there this friday go. okay so uh stay tuned for that and zach what are we doing next week next week a uh, friend of the show is going to come back uh, it's Leah Williams. We're going to talk about the trial of Magneto, and I'm very, very excited about that. Leah is an absolute delight every time she's on the show, and we are uh, we are going to get into the nitty gritty of spoiler alert: who murdered the Scarlet Witch? But until then, this has been Bow the Atom. We hope you survived the experience. Get it!